0: everyone. Uh, welcome to the fifth episode of Searching for the Slavic Soul, a podcast by Vitya. My name is Magda Lewandowska and I am, as always, your lovely Polish presenter. Uh, today we are catching up with Vitya's blog, which you can find at wita.squarespace.com slash blogeng. Or if you read in Polish, you can go to wita.squarespace.com slash blog pl so today we are catching up with vitya's blog Uh, we are going to talk about arguing among slavs a topic that was discussed on vitya's blog back in december last year Uh, before we start and before i recite the compulsory disclaimers I would like to send a humongous thank you to everyone who has been supporting Vitya's mission with words of encouragement, with comments, questions and new ideas. We are receiving more and more messages from you and every one of your messages has been read, has been heard, has been appreciated and considered. Please keep the feedback coming, it's just so, so very helpful also helpful because now, thanks to you, I know that my Polish accent is not as bad as I thought (laughs) and I'm very happy that I can be understood by all of you. There is only the disclaimer left. Uh, As always, when I talk about Slavic ancestors or our ancestors, I mean pre-Christian pagan Slavs of early medieval ages. Uh, With introduction out of the way, let's just jump into the topic. And let's start with a quote, which is over a thousand years old, and it goes as follows. The Slavs are most courageous and violent, and if it was not for disputes caused by the proliferation of divisions in their branches and fragmentation into tribes, no people would be able to match their strength. Those words, written by Ibrahim ibn Yaqub, are one of the best-known and most cited descriptions of the Slavic nature. It's a description rarely, if at all, questioned. Also, this quote is frequently used as an argument for pan-Slavism to show what a powerful force Slavs would be if we could only unite. By the question of credibility of Ibrahim's assessment of Slavs remains unanswered. Were Slavs really so violent, were they really so divided, did they dispute or argued so much? It could be as well that, as with many other historical sources, Ibn Yaqub's description is distorted by lack of understanding of the culture of our ancestors. So let's have a quick look at Ibrahim Ibn Yaqub and let's try to figure out who he was, Which will in turn help us to understand his biases. So Ibrahim Ibn Yaqub was a merchant. It is suspected that he was also a spy and or a diplomat. The historians also suspect that he was a physician. He was born in Spain, either in Catalonia or Andalusia, and was either a Sephardi Jew or a Muslim of Jewish ancestry. He was most certainly highly educated, well-rounded, he was from a good family and he or his family or both were influential enough to be received by Holy Roman Emperor Otto I himself. Ibrahim grew up in a world of very complex hierarchical social structure. He grew up in a world where everybody has his or her own place and everybody knew his or her place. In the word of Ibrahim ibn Yaqub, the social status of an individual was determined by traditions and laws, which nobody dared to question. In the elites of both Jewish and Muslim culture, everybody knew how to speak, what to speak, what to do, what to wear, how low to bow. They knew what's allowed and what's forbidden. Even if somebody did not agree with the social order, Nobody or only very few dared to question the status quo because rebelling against the order in the best case brought social alienation and in the worst case it brought death. However, when Ibrahim visited Slavic land, Slavs lived in a democratic society. The rules of this democratic social order had at least a few hundred years tradition dated at least to the 6th century of the Common Era when our ancestors' democratic customs were observed and recorded by the Roman historians. So when Ibrahim visited the Slavic land, our ancestors lived in democracy. That was their tradition. They themselves created their laws and elected their leaders. Their social hierarchy was built on the basis of competency and not so much on ancestry or lineage. In order to hold any position of responsibility, to be a żerca, a Slavic priest, a warrior or a ruler, the person who wanted to hold this position had to have certain abilities and skills which were verified in real time by the society and, what's more important, by the reality. If there were doubts about competency of the people in position of power, those doubts were discussed publicly on Vietz, which was a public meeting like Old English moot or Germanic thing. On Vietz, those accused of incompetence had to explain themselves and address the accusation in a satisfactionary manner. They had to present their actions or decisions in a different or more favorable light they had to explain why the accusation could be unfounded, show any hidden motivations of the accuser. They had to confront their accusations. A person who held a position of power in the Slavic society had to be able to justify and answer for any of his or her decisions. She or he had to present the opinions or point of views in a clear and understandable way. So we can see here that pre-Christian Slavs learned very early on that their own opinion is not only worth having, but is also worth expressing. To rise in the social hierarchy of Slavs, it required real abilities and achievements. Being born in the right family or having the right political backing wasn't very helpful in the long run. Therefore, our Slavic ancestors had no reason to hide their strength or their abilities. They knew that to achieve something in their life, they had to rely on themselves and themselves only. Additionally, the religion of pre-Christian Slavs did not give any promises for afterlife, so Slavs had no reason to suffer or punish themselves like Jews, Muslims or Christians routinely did in order to follow the rules of Jewish, Muslim or Christian religion, which, as we all know, are very punitive systems of beliefs. If we look at the whole picture, it is not surprise that in the eyes of Ibrahim ibn Ya'kub, Slavs appeared loud, violent, and divided or argumentative. Ibrahim, who was brought up in a hierarchical, restrictive, and highly regulated culture, saw our ancestors interpreted their behavior through the prism of his own knowledge and experience it is exactly the same mechanism that makes some modern Syrian refugees see European women as indecent or lewd. Through the prism of orthodox Islamic culture, uncovered hair or body is not a matter of fashion, but a proof of indecency. But if we look at Ibrahim's word, it's not really that far from our modern reality. Nowadays, in 21st century, being argumentative, violent or divided, it's considered to be negative despite the fact that nowadays most of us live in democracy and we supposedly can enjoy our freedom of speech from very early childhood we are taught to be humble quiet obedient and not to argue with grown-ups with neighbors with spouses our socialization is based on suppressing the ability to think for ourselves, to express our opinions, to confront our own opinion with the opinions of others. We are taught to self-censor our words, our words and thoughts, to make sure we don't offend anyone. The only criticism we are allowed is the one that's directed towards ourselves nowadays many attempts to criticize others opinion or actions are cut down with accusation of xenophobia chauvinism feminism nazism fascism marxism leftism sexism colonialism and neocolonialism or intolerance or some sort of subconscious bias and you know all other bad isms So, but where did this amicability of Western culture come from? Why are we so opposed to arguing? How is it possible that our secular, democratic, rainbow society of independent women and men and all other genders is so, so scared of different opinions? Why do we gag with accusations anybody who dares to have a different point of view? why in seemingly diverse and free society we are still stuck in prison of censorship and political correctness it seems that the roots of this enforced humility and obedience can be found in the christian ideology dominating europe for hundreds of years because you know two thousand years ago christianity was born as a deeply pacifistic movement I know it's hard to believe, but it's true if you look at historical sources, even the Bible, you very quickly realize that the first Christians were not allowed to kill, they were not allowed to fight, they were not allowed to argue or go against their God's will in any other way such deeply pacifistic attitude was very helpful on the first stages of the development of christianity because it helped the early christianity to have its own martyrs and its own heroic legends but with time the pacifism started to be more and more troublesome because you know what ruler needs subjects who do not want to go to fight and conquer new lands so Under the rule of Constantine the Great, who was the first Christian Roman Emperor and who had to defend the empire from the quote-unquote barbarians, the the Christian theologists and ethicists came up with a concept of fighting in the name of faith, which allowed Christians to fight in order to defend their faith. This, in turn, resulted in the development of just war theory, this theory allowed Christian to fight in the defense of the innocent. And this in turn evolved into the doctrine of holy war, which was the MO of the crusaders who were brainwashed into believing that killing heathens can be a penance for one's sins. So following this doctrine, if a Christian sinned, he or she could kill some pagans to get all the sins written off and, you know, go to heaven. We can see that over the centuries there's been lots of effort put into thinking up ways to allow pacifistic Christians to fight and kill others. However, until this day, the Christian theologists and thinkers have not come up with a doctrine which would allow Christians to argue amongst themselves. Which really, it's no wonder, you know having an argumentative subject has never been in the best interest of the church or the state, while military conquest has always been very profitable for both. So, for hundreds of years, generations of Christians had to be obedient, be united, they had to follow the will of their shepherds. This obedience, this suffering, almost as spiritual slavery, it's called carrying your own cross and is expected of every Christian to this very day. Considering that the European culture is saturated with the ideas and ideals of Christianity, it is not surprising that we are, as society, we are meek and obedient as lambs are. So why exactly in this heavily Christianized modern European culture we are not allowed to argue? Why is an argument so despised? Why is it so dangerous that our shepherds don't allow us to have it? What is an argument? In the most wide understanding, an argument is a heated conversation of two people of completely different points of view. This means that in order to have an argument, we need to have first our own opinion, an opinion strong enough for us to want to defend it. Then we need an access to a person or persons holding a different opinion. And again, the different opinion, it has to be strong enough to be worth defending. To argue, we also need the ability to express our own opinion clearly enough for the other person to hear and understand it. Because if our opinion is not heard and understood, it wouldn't trigger an argument. We need the ability to hear and understand the person holding a different point of view. We need the ability to formulate and modify our arguments in response to the arguments of the person we argue with. So an argument requires thinking, having an opinion, listening with understanding and what is most important, an argument requires to have a contact with people of different points of view. Because talking to somebody who shares our outlook, we can only confirm our way of thinking, but we most certainly will not have an argument. (laughs) However, talking or arguing with somebody of different opinion, we can easily learn something new and maybe even change our opinion about a given topic. So an argument is one of the most basic forms of learning. It's a way of exploring the world, exchanging experiences, knowledge, thoughts. This is why arguing was and still is so frowned upon in the Judeo-Christian culture, because brainwashed lambs who are carefully separated from different points of view and outlooks are much more likely to be docile and obedient than argumentative, self-confident and curious people like our quote-unquote violent and divided Slavic ancestors. The history, particularly the events of the 20th century, show us that excessive agreeability of the society can be really dangerous. The ideas of Nazism or Stalinism would not have caused such a bloody harvest if the individuals living in those totalitarian systems did not agree to it. Orders are orders was the most common defense line in the Nuremberg trials, the trials that were held to judge the Nazis after the Second World War. If the Soviet communists and the whole Soviet society were not as docile and obedient as they were, Joseph Stalin would remain a rude commissar with grandiosity issues. The totalitarian ideas would never have become dangerous if it wasn't for the people who were ready to make them happen. And let's not forget, the people who were ready to accept and bring to life Nazism or Stalinism lived only a few decades ago. In the historical perspective, it's really like yesterday. We are not that far from those people. Our education system, our social order, ethical values, our laws were built on the same foundation which supported the bloody buildings of the totalitarian systems. The Milgram experiment, which is the one where participants were following orders and they were electrocuting other subjects, and the more recent variation of this experiment proved that a few decades of freedom have not washed away hundreds of years of Judeo-Christian brainwashing us into obedience and agreeability. So, were Slavs divided and violent? From ours saturated with Judeo-Christian ideology, from our perspective, they probably were. But from the point of view of our ancestors, they most certainly were not. However, we look at it, despite the lack of unity, despite the arguing among our ancestors, they were still able to create a society stable enough to allow for trade, state or legal system to develop. Despite how divided or fragmented they were, our ancestors still managed to have a common language. They have shared beliefs and traditions with the world-famous hospitality, And those beliefs, those traditions, they united them strongly and deeply enough to survive and stay alive until today. So, to honour and follow the tradition and beliefs of our ancestors, I would like to wish you to find in your soul the remains of your argumentative pagan roots. Let's be as divided as our ancestors were. Despite violence and fragmentation, let's share a common language, traditions and laws. Let's argue and let's disagree like our ancestor did on Vietz, Mut, or thing. Let's have our own opinions wise and thought through enough not to be scared of criticism. Let's express our opinions loudly with pride and let's allow others to express their opinion too. But for God's sake let's never unite. Because Ibrahim ibn Yaqub was right in one thing. The humanity will never survive the totalitarian rule of Slavic paganism. That's all for today. I hope it wasn't too convoluted and too grandiose. Uh, if you have any comments, any questions, any ideas or just want to get in touch, uh, give us a shout on Vitya's Facebook. Instagram, YouTube and through Vitya's website which is witi dot com Thank you all for listening and see you or rather hear you next time Suava.